And then we're going to go into these, these uh, last thoughts on submission. And it's good, good stuff. Father, we thank you right now for your blessing on the house of God and on the word of God. And Lord, for those that are in the healing room right now and being prayed for, we pray that a mighty healing touches them, that there is a healing on their bodies, a healing on their homes, on their lives, on their minds. We lift them up. We pray for the prayers that the anointing of God will rest on them to pray that prayer of faith. We pray for the young people worshiping God. We pray for the children in the castle and all the various rooms. We pray that they will have a visit from Jesus tonight. Now, will you breathe a prayer tonight and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive the engrafted word, which is able to save my soul in Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, submission is not a four-letter word. You can sit down. Amen. God is good. How much I appreciate uh, all of our volunteers and helpers. I so appreciate the musicians and um, Tyler and the team back there. As a matter of fact, tonight we got two Tylers back there, Tyler and Tyler, and um, Judy and Roger, and you know, these people put in all kinds of hours that we don't know anything about. So I want you to give them a hand of appreciation, would you? I really mean that. All right. So let's look uh, tonight at more on submission. Last time we talked about the relationship between husband and wife, between uh, how the husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. And God's call on the wife to respect the husband and submit to his spiritual leadership. And we explain that. And I, I can't take the evening to explain the, the groundwork I laid last time on what submission means and how it's not doormat theology. And it doesn't mean that the one submitting uh, is of less value than the one they're submitting to. There's none of that. It's just simple divine order. It's the way God established things. Now... But suffice it to say, if you want the CD, it's there, or the notes, you can get them. But I want you to notice as we go into this how much God cares about your marriage and your home. God cares about your marriage, that it make it. He has principles for it, principles by which it works, and things by which it will not work, wrong practices, and so on and so forth. And God cares about your home. We're about to see that he really cares about relationship between children and parents, parents and children. And you ready for this? He goes even further and meddles more. I love the way God's word meddles with me, meddles with my stuff, okay? But he goes even further and he gives us principles on, uh, to live by when it comes to employer and employee relationships. And it's all something we need a fresh vision of. So he is going to go further in his instructions for the Christian home and addresses uh, children and parents and employers and employees. He begins first with the child-parent relationship. How many of you were a kid once? I ought to have every hand in here. I hope I do. All right. Let me ask this. How many of you are parents in here? Raise your hand high. Some of you can't even raise them anymore. You're too tired. All right. But most everybody in here is a parent. All right. Let's look at this. Uh, he starts out in chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor. Everybody say honor. 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 
your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you. Listen to this now, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I'm going to talk about those promises in, in just a little bit, but just get a hold of that. What God is telling us, the reward that comes from honoring the authority God's placed over us. Okay? Now, if you've ever raised a child, you know that childhood is a period of constant testing of the limits. Your limits. Your limits. Children will push against your authority in their attempts to get their own way. And they'll push and push and see just how far they can go. And let me tell you what they're really hoping deep down inside. They're hoping deep down inside you stand your ground. Now, in the midst of this rather intense season of seeing just how strong or weak parental authority might be, God gives one clear command to children. He says, listen to me, children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is the right thing. Now, can you agree with me that if there's a right thing, there's a wrong thing? So what I love about the Bible. See, our culture is extremely confused right now because we're living in relativism. And relativism says, whatever you decide is true is what's true. You are the decider of what is truth for you. But Christians don't live in relativism. They live under the authority and over the, under the guidance of the scriptures. And the scriptures don't say it's all up to you. The scriptures tell us what's right. And they tell us what's wrong, and they never change. So he says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, the verb obey is hupakau, hupakau, which comes from the word akuo, akuo. And that's a Greek word for to listen. Akuo means to listen. So notice that in the word obey, from the original language is the idea of listening, listening to who's talking to you. Hupakuo builds on this by combining the concept of listening with hearkening to or responding to a command. It literally means to obey. So when he says obey your parents in the Lord, it, it carries the idea, listen to them. Listen to them. Yeah, they're older than you and they've made it that far. And if you don't listen to them, you might not. Okay? So to obey means listen to them and then, and then do what they're advising you. Now notice that this obedience is in the Lord. Obey your parents in the Lord. That is, obedience to parents is part of our obedience to the Lord. And that's true with all authority. See, when, when I obey, for instance, if a policeman pulls me over and I do what he says, you know what I'm really obeying? I'm obeying the God who established authority, not just the cop, because he's as imperfect as me. But he represents the city of Fort Worth, but beyond that, he re represents God, because Romans tells us that all authority is given by God. So this incredible movement of late against all police, this rebellion against the police, I'm not saying they're perfect in any way, sense, or form, or, or that they haven't made mistakes. But here's what I'm saying. you got to be very, very careful how you respond to authority. How you respond to authority. God is never behind anarchy. 
Never. Never. He never is. Now, when a child says, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, whatever, he's basically saying, I'm honoring God who gave you to me. And even though you're wrong sometimes, I'm still going to honor it. And of course, as with all submission, if my parents ask me to do something immoral or illegal, then my first obligation is to obey the Lord instead of my parents. And that's true of all authority. See, I'm submitted to the laws of this state. But if this state steps in and tells me, you know, you can't preach the word anymore, I must obey God rather than men. If somebody who I am submitted to wants me to do something immoral or illegal, then I say, can't do it. I must obey God rather than men. I'm going to need a water, Kathy. (coughs) Excuse me. Suddenly got a scratch. Everybody say hello. (coughs) There. She'll get me a water. (sighs) How many of you have been messing with this stuff? All right. (coughs) Sorry. Submit. All right. Thank you, Tyler. I'll be fine if I can just get a drink. (laughs) I was afraid this is going to happen to me up here. My second biggest fear is I'm going to miss this step. (sighs) I got some. All right. Now, Paul supports his command to obey with several reinforcements. Let me look at them. First, the command to obey one's parents is number five of the Ten Commandments. Read it with me. Honor and your mother. Deuteronomy 5.16. Now, obedience to parents is not just a man-made rule. It's given by God. Given by God to be built into the very fabric of our values. Now, is that being torn down in America right now? Have you ever wondered, excuse me, what's happened to the family? Have you ever wondered what has happened to the family? So have I. We should honor father and mother. Now, the word honor is uh, the word that Moses used. It's tamao which means to value, to deem worthy. That's what honor means. So we're to value. Now, let me tell you what I really believe has been getting lost in our culture, and that is the whole concept of honor. We're not honoring. You know, even, even the church building, people walk in and they don't treat it with honor. It's not treated like a sacred thing. So... We're not only to honor our parents when we are children under their care, but also when we are adults. How many of you have older parents? My mother just turned 90. She has more friends than I do. She's busier than I am. But now, Jesus quoted the fifth commandment. Notice this. When he castigated the Pharisees for creating legal ways to evade supporting their parents when they were aged. He castigated them for that. Proverbs is full of admonitions to honor parents both as children and as adults. We have a duty. Say, I have a duty. duty. To honor, listen to, 
and care for them that extends beyond childhood. God's called us to do it. But in our text, Paul is admonishing children still at home. Why does he emphasize obeying and honoring parents? Because children have a natural tendency, how many of you can attest to this, to ignore you. And to think that you're old, and because you're old, you don't know what you're talking about. Fact is, if we made it that far, we know some things. But they have a tendency to, you know, you're old, you're antiquated, you're not up to speed, (laughs) you're dated, and all these things. So I'm going to do my own thing because I think I've got a better idea. And, you, and that's the way they learn the hard way. Now, in order to add some very powerful incentives, God first promises, say it with me, that it may go well. How many of you want life going well with you? Now, how, would, you ever, would we ever connect honoring our parents to life going well with us? I want to have a good life. You only go one time around. You're not coming back as a cow or a grasshopper or a cricket or one of your relatives. It's given unto a man to die once and then the judgment. Okay? So while I'm here, I want it to go well with me. I want to have a blessed life. So he says, you want a blessed life? You want it to go well with you? Honor. Value esteem your parents. Well, Pastor Jeff, what if they weren't good to me? Listen, uh, me and my dad, we were alienated for years. A lot of it was because I was a little rebel. I was a hellion. I don't blame him for some of what he did to me. But there was one day, and I don't say that I'm not dishonoring my dad. I'm really fessing up to you about me. <clears throat> I made him so mad. He punched me right in the nose. <clears throat> Just, and it connected. <clears throat> you see what I'm saying? It connected and it bled everywhere. Now, I could have run out of there. These days, I would go off and call the police and get him taken to jail. That's what kids will do today. But back then, you know, all my sisters came running in and saw me bleeding out the nose, and I'm carrying on, and my dad was so mad he couldn't see straight. Well, how old were you? I think I was 33. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I was around 13, 14, but I had so aggravated him that he just lost it and just kaploomp. Now, there was a while there, a number of years, where I was very bitter at my dad. Not just because of that. Because we'd gone through four divorces in my house. And I felt like a ping pong ball. There was, there was three marriages. And divorce, divorce, divorce. So I got where I didn't believe in love. I didn't believe in home. I didn't believe in family. I just got that to that place. That was before I knew the Lord. I became a juvenile delinquent. I became hell on wheels, angry at the world. Ended up in jail. Ended up self-destructing through narcotics. Ended up for sale of narcotics in jail. But you know what? After all that was done and all that trouble, God put such a love in my heart for my dad. And when I started going to the ministry, 
the Lord said to me, before I bless you any further, I want you to go to your dad and make it right. I rebuked it. I bound it. I loosed it. I denied it. But I could not escape it. Go to your dad and make it right. I'll never forget going over to him that day. My dad was an intellectual. He's a very bright man, very intelligent. Genius IQ, member of Mensa, all that stuff. And he couldn't comprehend how I was believing, the way I was looking at the world, my relationship with Christ. He even said to me once, Jeff, I just can't comprehend the atonement. That's what he said. So I went to him and just sat down. I said, Dad, and this was right when I was starting to preach. Dad, I need you to forgive me. I want it. What for? We're, we're fine. But we weren't fine. And I said, I hurt you. I know I hurt you a lot. I broke your heart. So I need you to forgive me. He was very uncomfortable, staring at the floor, staring around, wouldn't look at me. He said, I just don't need to do it, Jeff. I said, I need you to do it. He said, okay, I forgive you. Now, to him, it was kind of silly, but I walked out and God started blessing my life. Now, see, because I honored my dad, even though there were times he did things that we would call today abusive. If I'd been me, I'd have probably hit me twice in the nose. So what I'm saying is, folks, there are principles of God that are in the universe that are as certain as gravity. And one of them is honor, honor. Value people even though they're not earning your value. Honor people even though they're not living up to the way they should. You still do it because you're honoring the God who established the authority. Do you understand that? Can you get that? Because a lot of people don't get that. They live a long time and they never get that. Well, I'll respect them when they earn my respect. Well, maybe so. But you honor them whether they earn it or not. Because you're honoring the God that established authority. That it may go well with you. Those who obey their parents stay out of trouble a lot better than those who don't. Can I have an amen? amen. How many tears are shed, honestly? Futures cut short. Young lives ruined by refusing to obey the good advice of parents. I was talking to somebody in medicine a while back. This person in medicine told me the saddest story. Said, just this week, a mother came in with her daughter. Her daughter was this, she said there was this beautiful girl. It was a Christian family. But this daughter had decided to rebel. And her rebellion manifested in running off with a guy who was not a believer. And she was a beautiful girl. And I forget, still a teenager ran off with him, ran away with him, had this quick fling and came back home. Got back in church because they'd been raised in church, but one day went to the doctor. And one time they had had sex once. And she's HIV positive. One time. This person said, the way the mother fell on the floor and wailed, 
daughter in her arms, this girl who was raised in the things of God. And I thought, you know, obey your, honor your parents, obey them in the Lord that it may go well with you. I never forgot that story. So everybody say it's wise to obey God. Now, the, the, the second part of the promise is even more powerful. Read it with me. That you may enjoy long life on the earth. How many people want to live long? That you may enjoy long life. Do, do you get the connection? Do you see that God is telling us if we obey our parents that there is something about it adds longevity to our life? Isn't that what it said? Am I reading it wrong? That's what it said. Obedience to our parents is an invaluable protection that will increase our lifespan. If we don't learn from our parents how to live right, we can literally be killed. It's the truth. It's a fact. It's a fact. Now take the deadly culture of our inner cities. Just for an example, take Chicago. Chicago. Take Chicago. I don't know if you read the news much, but, but, but teenagers are slaughtered every day in Chicago, in the inner city. It's no less violent than that of Old Testament days. You would have been safer walking around in some of those Old Testament wilderness areas than in inner city Chicago now. Amen. Obedience to our parents will keep us alive now and in the future because these kids that get out there, they reject their parents and they go live with a gang. They get with that gang and they end up dead. Obey your parents. See, God gives authority. It's not perfect authority, but it's his, his representation on, on the earth. And even a bad parent can give good advice and, and can love you. They just don't always know how to show it, but they do. Now, it will also help us earn a living so we have enough food to stay alive. Our lifespan is directly, we read this last sentence together, ready? Our lifespan is directly linked to our willingness to obey in all areas of life. Now, let me continue. It's an undeniable, inescapable fact of life that we must all learn to submit to authority. How many of you had to deal with authority this week? Come on. I want to meet the rest of you. I don't know where you live because I have to deal with authority, right? Uh, now, here's the fact with children. If they don't learn to obey authority, submit to authority, work with authority, then they're not going to make it in society, folks. They're not going to make it. And God's first choice to learn authority is in the home. If a child doesn't learn to submit to authority in the home, he's going to encounter authority at school. If he doesn't learn it in school, he's going to encounter it from the police. And if he doesn't learn from the police, guess what? He's going to encounter authority in prison. How many times have I seen it? How close was I to that? In the home, we are to learn to honor and submit to authority. If we don't, then we go out of the house with that attitude, we go to school with that attitude, and then when a teacher who is an authority figure tells us to do something or whatever, and we don't submit to that authority, we end up in the street, expelled, kicked out. And when you're expelled and kicked out, then you encounter the police, and they tell you what to do. And if you reject their authority, you learn it in prison, and there they know how to take authority over you. So how can a child who doesn't learn to obey a parent ever learn to obey God when their will is propelling them beyond God's limits? So what is the, one of the great lessons we're to teach our children in the home? How to respond 
to write godly authority and get that rebel spirit out. Parents have a sacred task to teach obedience for their children's spiritual and physical lives are at stake. Obedience to parents is directly transferred to obedience to the Heavenly Father. So in the home, mom and dad, we've got to have, and, and here's where he's going next. He's going to talk to the dads. He's told the children, now you need to submit, but, but the word of God is very fair, just like it was with wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. The husbands, you love those wives like Christ loved the church, and when a wife is loved that way, submission is no issue. In the same way, children obey your parents, but then he turns to the dad and says, now let me tell you how to be an authority figure. So let's look at what he says. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, just because we're parents doesn't mean we've got the right to rule with the divine right of kings. That's the wrong concept of authority. God-given authority, dads, is not the license to be a tyrant. It is not license to step on people. It is not license to rule like you're sitting on a throne and everybody in the home is your servants. That's not what he's telling us. Parents are to enforce discipline in the home, but they're to do it wisely and in love. Now, let me expand on this. In, look what he says here. Uh, fathers, do not exasperate your children means don't provoke them. Don't needle them. Don't constantly be on their case where they finally cave. Don't do that. Uh, it means don't make them angry. Don't rouse them to wrath. Don't provoke or exasperate them. Think of your own Heavenly Father for a minute. When the Heavenly Father deals with you, let me ask you, does God love you? Oh, he loves you very much. Have you noticed that when God disciplines you, and how many of you can say, I've been disciplined by God? You, you sin and you can feel the discipline of the Holy Spirit, and God disciplines us. But when he disciplines us, does he not also come along and love us and pick us back up and forgive us and encourage us and move us on down the road and give us hope and give us a future? In other words, isn't he encouraging and affirming even in the midst of chastening? Jeremiah 29, 11 was spoken to his people who were in captivity for their own sin. And yet he says to them, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. And who is he telling that to? His people who have been in captivity for 70 long years, they blew it so bad. But look how he comes along and says, hey, I'm not done with you. I still love you. I'm going to give you a future and give you a hope. So God doesn't break our spirit. And neither should we, dads, break the spirit of our children. God continuously pours out his love onto our hearts through the Holy Spirit, no matter what we're going through. And a, a closely related passage is Colossians 3.21, where it says, Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Don't needle them so much without any encouragement that they become so discouraged because all they can seem to do is, is, is what is wrong. They, they eventually, eventually get the attitude, well, I can't do anything right, so why should I even try? And it breaks their spirit and they become discouraged. 
Literally, it means to treat them heavy-handedly with no love. It breaks their spirit, produces rebellion, and it produces hatred of authority. And let me tell you what it eventually produces, an angry man or an angry woman. If you discipline and ride them without ever encouraging them like God does us, you produce an angry adult, an angry man, an angry woman. And an abused child, nine times out of ten, becomes an abuser. So we have, an, a, we have a high calling with our children. The purpose of discipline is to train and direct the child's spirit, not to break them. Of course, not only fathers but mothers, too, have to keep themselves in check so that in their diligence to discipline, they do not damage the child instead. Okay? I mean, you can do this with a dog. You, you can correct that dog so much that you break that dog's spirit. He never goes anywhere, does anything, hides under the bed every time you come home. There's no joy. There's, there's, no, there, there's no happiness being where they are because all they ever are is corrected. I love happy dogs. Okay? And I like a happy house. I think we have a happy staff. Um, I do my best to have a happy staff. Where any of my staff in here can say amen. They're all gone. No. We have a happy staff. We really do. It's a happy... Bob, you ought to have said amen. He said it. You just couldn't hear him. All right. But God wants our home to be happy. And the only way it's going to be happy is if you discipline, you also encourage. You also give a future. You also affirm when they do right. Okay? Bring them up, he says, in the training and instruction of the Lord. Training and instruction involve example, maintaining discipline, teaching, instructing, giving responsibilities, and then supporting and praising them as they learn to keep them faithfully. When he does right, make over him. When she does right, make over her. Brag on her. Praise her. Praise him when they do right. Correction for wrong without ever offering praise for doing right is the kind of upbringing that embitters a child and creates an angry adult. Now, Paul says that our training and instruction are part of our service to the Lord. Do you know that when you're raising your children, you're serving the Lord? When you're raising the kids, you're serving the Lord? You're serving Jesus? Because we're supposed to be giving children, contributing children to society that are upright. Now, Kathy and I went through some real difficulties with our kids. I used to think, man, am I paying for what I did? Seriously, is it visiting me? Am I experiencing what my dad did? And there were times we just despaired. But you know what? They're both in church today on their own. They, they both pray every day. They both read the Bible daily. And they're very good adults. So even when it looks like, uh-oh, uh-oh, oh my gosh, what are that word I'm... Listen, You put the word in them and that seed in them, and that seed is more powerful than anything you can imagine. And even if it looks like they have gone straight to hell in a handcart, that seed. He says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, you may have to wait around till they're old. But when he's old, he will not depart from it. Okay? Our children belong to God and we are raising them for him. We're told to bring them up. That's ectra, ectrefo, 
ektrepho, ektrepho. I don't know where the accent is, but that's the Greek word, ektrepho in the Lord. It means to provide food. That's what bringing them up means. Provide food, nourish, bring them up from childhood. We're to nourish our children in the Lord, in the Lord. So to children, Paul says, obey your parents. To parents, he says, train and instruct your children in Christ without breaking their spirit. Then next, he's going to deal with slaves and masters. And let me read this verse and explain to you uh, that he was not for slavery. So just hang on. Let me read this. Uh, Verse 5 says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. I'm going to back up and I'm going to insert boss and employee or employer and employee instead of slaves and masters. So employees, obey your earthly employers with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. Uh Oh, here comes the boss, get to work. But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve, how everybody, half-heartedly? Wholeheartedly. Even if you're flipping burgers, which is honorable. Can I say that? If you've got the ability to flip burgers and you choose to go on welfare because burgers are beneath you, remember that I said this. If you can't get your golden opportunity, get something under the golden arches. Because God has called us to work, not to let others work for us, unless we really can't do it. And if we can't, we're happy to help you. But even if you're out there flipping burgers, which is honorable if you're doing it unto Christ, you do it as unto him and and not unto men. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they're a slave or whether they're free. The Bible does not promote, now let me be clear on this, slavery. The Bible was not a promoter of slavery. That's that's really a myth and a lie, as American Southern plantation owners believed a century and a half ago. Bible's never been for something like that. So let's not impose that understanding of slavery into Paul's words here. Paul is dealing with slavery as a fact of life in his day and, and, and to the people to whom he was ministering. Many of them were slaves. In the Mediterranean world of Paul's day, there were three things, citizens, freedmen, and slaves. And a great many of the people most open to the Christian message were the poor and the oppressed who were the slaves. So he had to tell them how to live under that bondage. If Paul had taught slaves that they were free and inflamed them to rise up against their slave owners, as John Brown did just before the American Civil War, the message of the gospel would have been swallowed up by the issue of slavery and lost. Instead, here's what Paul does. He teaches Christians how to live within the evil system in which they find themselves. Now, let me ask you this. Are we, you and I, really not in an increasingly evil system? We're being forced to pay for abortions. I mean, all kinds of things are happening that didn't used to be here. Our culture is not what it used to be. So what does God do? If he can't pull us out of it, he teaches us how to live in it. And that's what Paul did with slavery. Now, 
I found it best in our day to substitute employee for slave and whatnot, and that's what I did. Now, the instruction, instruction that Paul would give in our situation of employees and employers is very similar to what he said to slaves and slave owners. And they are uh, these instructions. Employees are to do what their employers tell them to do. The obedience is not just to be the letter of the employer's directives, but is to include respect, literally fear and trembling. He doesn't mean cowering terror, but he means respect. I'm going back to it again. When I talk to a police officer, there is in me a respect for them. And there's a respect for them because God has established their authority. You take them away for even a week, and we're all hunkered in our house with guns at our side, sleeping with one eye open, hoping that we live another day. So I have a respect for them. I don't care about their personal life. I have a respect for the position. Okay? So there is a fear and trembling in me. A, not a cowering terror unless I'm doing something evil. Then I'm scared to death of them. But otherwise, I respect them. The phrase refers to a proper spirit of Christian reverence. An attitude of due reverence and awe of the God who is watching the way we conduct ourselves at work. I want you to say something with me. The fear of the Lord is the continual awareness that God is watching and weighing every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. That's the fear of the Lord. The constant awareness, God's watching and weighing in the balances, every one of my thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes. God sees what I do when no one else is looking. That's the fear of the Lord. And I fear the Lord as in I reverentially am in awe of him because I know if I do something wrong, he's going to whoop me, chasing me. Okay. So we're to be God-fearers and to therefore show due respect for our employers. We're not to despise them in our hearts. We're not to hate the boss just because they're the boss. Notice how Paul brings attitude into this rather than mere legalism. He says we do it with sincerity of heart. We do our jobs as unto the Lord. I want you to say with me, I don't work for my employer. Ultimately, I work for Christ. Do you believe that, or is that just a religious slogan? Do you believe it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you do, because you represent Christ the minute you walk in that door. And we're working, at, at, let all that you do be done to the glory of the Lord. Amen. So we do our jobs as unto him. It's vital that we bring our love for Christ right in the midst of every important relationship of our lives, and work is where we spend most of our time. We're to serve our employers with the same attitude with which we serve Jesus. Our conscientious work is part of of our service to Christ, whether we're slaves, employees, entrepreneurs, serving clients, it doesn't matter. He says that when we work, we work as Christ's servants. Our labor may belong to our master or our employer, but our underlying motivation is not just money. We'll say that again, our underlying motivation isn't just money but it's as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart in the workplace. 
Then the apostle gives to us another strong incentive for this, knowing the Lord will reward you. Say there is a reward with God. Now, he says to the children, you want to live long and you want to go well with you? Obey and honor your parents. He says to us employees, he says, hey, you want the Lord to reward you? You carry a good attitude to work. You carry a good attitude to work. Even if you've got a tough boss, you say, Lord, I trust you that you're bigger than him or bigger than her. And I'm going to honor them as long as I'm here. And I'm not going to show disrespect. I'm not going to dishonor your name on me as an outspoken Christian. Our employers may be mystified by our good nature and faithful, conscientious service, but God will be pleased and will reward us for our faithfulness to our employers. You know how he rewards you more times than not? Promotion. Okay? Now, Paul talks to the bosses, and then we're done. Masters or bosses or employers, treat your slaves or your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Employers ought to treat their employees with the same kind of respect, faithfulness, integrity that God expects of employees. Some employers rule by threats, and they carry them out ruthlessly, and they're miserable to work for. The better ones, however, lead by example from a position of respect. They may need to exercise discipline from time to time, fact of life. They may need to actually let somebody go, fire them, which is a terrible thing to have to do. I hate it but they must do it with honesty, justice, and integrity. Then to the bosses and employees who have lost perspective, Paul gives two warnings, and then we're going to close with this. He says, hey, employer, Mr. Boss Man, you have a boss in heaven who's going to hold you to account. As a boss, you can't be an absolute tyrant, for you yourself are under God's authority. You may be in a position of authority on earth, But ultimately, you're a servant of your heavenly master, your heavenly boss, and you're as accountable to him as your employees are to you. That's it. Let's stand together, can we? Isn't it amazing how practical the Word of God is? Can we just lift our hands and thank the Lord? Father, we thank you right now. You are good, Lord. You are so good. We bless your holy name. Father, help us to draw near to you. Help us to obey the word. Church, I want you to lift your hands to me and just say with me, say, Lord, help me to honor you in my day-to-day life. Help me to honor the authorities you've placed around me. For I'm a witness for you everywhere I go. Lord, I receive your blessing on my life. But even more so, when I honor your word. Lord, let it go well with me. And may I live a long life to glorify you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's sing a phrase before we go. Thank you, Lord. Sing it with me, everybody. By you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed. Yes, Lord. Lord, I'm amazed.
more time. Lift your hands and just sing it to the Lord Jesus. Lord, I'm Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right. Well, this Sunday, I want to encourage you to bring somebody who needs the Lord. I'm going to preach this message.